Hi, and welcome to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. On this episode, we're joined by Giants rookie catcher Patrick Bailey, who is off to a great start both hitting and catching. Then we talk to our vice president of baseball, Bobby Scales, who gives us an education on how a catcher handles a pitching staff. Let's get right to it. On this episode, we're joined by Giants catcher Patrick Bailey. Patrick's caught a couple dozen games for the Giants since his recall, and the results have been very, very good. The Giants have been one of the best teams in baseball since Bailey and Casey Schmidt, shortstop third baseman, have come up. And I'd argue that Bailey's defensive work is a big reason why. Hey, Patrick, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So first things first, we typically ask a different question than I'm going to ask here, but I'm more curious about this, particularly because of something that happened the night before we're talking. Who taught you to think like a catcher? Oh, goodness. That goes back a long time. Scott Bankhead, he hits in the big leagues for 10 years in the, I think, 80s and 90s. He has a baseball academy in North Carolina that I was like, literally two minutes from and he would have me catch his lessons when i was kind of 12 13 14 so like i'd be catching high school college guys some pro guys and i just kind of would listen and kind of hear what he had to say and i think a lot of that a lot of the i guess catching knowledge or pitching knowledge that i've retained has been from Bankhead. so i, I like to give him a lot of the, a lot of the credit what's an example of something that he taught you Oh, just a lot about pitch sequences and just kind of how to think, you know, there, it was not very analytical at, at that time. So it wasn't like pitch shapes, but just kind of like how to kind of how to tunnel pitches and mix and match and call games. Things didn't get very analytical for me until pretty much pro ball. So I want to go from that to something that we watched last night in a game, and that was the at-bat between Manny Machado and Camilo Duvall in the 10th inning uh, between the Giants and the Padres. The Giants came back to win the game, tied it in the ninth, won it in the 10th. You got the tying sacrifice fly. And at Sports Info Solutions, we measure a lot of different things for catchers. One of them that I think is particularly challenging to try to measure is what we call like staff handling and pitch decision making. And Doval and Machado had an at-bat yesterday that I believe went 11 pitches, and it ended with Manny Machado striking out on a slider that was in the opposite batter's box after he had fouled off four consecutive 100-mile-per-hour pitches. I was wondering if you could walk us through that at-bat from your perspective. Yeah, I mean, great at-bat from both Duvall and Machado, but kind of as I'm sitting back there, obviously with Duvall, you kind of got to you got to gear up for a heater, whether it's the cutter or the sinker. Duvall did a good job of throwing both, pretty competitive in the zone to Machado, and as the at bat kind of prolonged, you kind of just see Machado was chasing the cutter just a little bit outside, and you just kind of tell he was in swing mode. So I think it was I think it was three two count. When we went for the slider, you just kind of had an idea of like, he's swinging, just throw it a little bit off the edge. You know, hopefully we get weak contact, but, you know, the ball did a good job of, again, kind of what I mentioned earlier, just tunneling that slider off the cutter and got the result we were looking for. So was it a case where you were looking for the pitch to be kind of middle or up in terms of location vertically and away? Or were you thinking that one that he was going to kind of jerk one down in the dirt? Just more away than anything if it was kind of 
Seals up a little bit great. It goes down a little bit great. Like I don't think I think away was the priority just because of how Mikado was kind of going after the fastball out there as well. So. so in terms of going back to what you were talking about before about Scott Bankhead teaching you how to think like a catcher, I'm curious what the thought process was. Essentially, you waited four pitches before you called the the slider, and I'm curious what the thought process was to that you didn't that led to you not doing it maybe a little sooner. I was going to it. <laughs> I was calling it. I think he threw a one-two slider yep. and pulled it. And then I think we went eater after that. Wasn't his best slider for sure, but I kind of like <laughs> going back to the slider knowing that it's probably one of his better pitches, and especially after not the best rub. After that two-two heater, he fouled off. <laughs> I think I called it like every pitch until the three-two one. Maybe there was Got one or two that I went. Peter. Ball did a great job of attacking with the fastball and it kind of set up the setup. So so it was a matter of him realizing that it was time. Yeah, or just having confidence in that pitch or, you know, something he saw. So is is the chess match of something like that, like where does that rank in terms of favorite aspects of catching for you? I think it's my favorite. Like just handling a staff, pitch calling, kind of obviously pitch framings up there, but you know, I like I like thinking the thinking the game and kind of what pitches are setting up what and just getting getting guys through innings and just trying to get the best. So five defensive runs saved in twenty three games. That's excellent for it's particularly excellent for a rookie catcher just coming out. And there are a couple of those. You, Francisco Alvarez, are both off to good starts. At the time we're talking, when you've caught Giants pitchers are fifteen and six with a two point seven six ERA. The caught stealing numbers are all really good, too. I do want to talk about framing because I picked up on it in your second game against the Marlins, a night where I think you had an umpire that was, I think, reasonably willing to to work the outside corner with you. And there were a number of times where I felt like you you got some good, good favorable calls. And your technique is interesting to me because it feels to me like your technique, you're trying to have as much of your glove in the strike zone as you can. It seems like, can, can you explain your technique? Yeah, yeah. So for me, I think a lot of it comes down to kind of positioning my body. Obviously that night, yeah, Logan Webb on the mound, pounding backdoor sinkers. So you obviously kind of, I would say, get a little more calls as your pitchers are locating it well. But to that point, kind of angling my body back towards the plate. And then I would go into what, what I would call my glove prep. So I would kind of position my glove towards the towards my right foot to kind of give myself an angle back to the plate, and then as I'm catching catching the ball, just trying to make it one fluid motion back to the zone. Like I think that's what me and Albie work on the most is just whatever wherever the pitch is, can we can we make a catch that is fluid and one motion, so you don't have that kind of that two or three, or I guess it's two, kind of jerky, like, all right, catch, and then move. Like, we just want it to be a catch to the spot. Yeah, it's been excellent so far. I noticed, too, you're a, uh, we've talked to different catchers about this, you're a tap-the-glove on the dirt guy on a pitch where you're, you're trying to catch it on the way up. Am I right on that? Yes, that's correct. That's kind of the dirt, my, I guess, my safety zone. Like, when I get there, it's just I know, like, kind of where I'm at. Yep. I did notice that you don't do it when Duvall's gearing up to throw 102, though. 
Yeah, I mean, for the most part, we're he's trying to elevate the heater. So when I have a higher target, my glove sets a little bit different. In terms of base stealing, you've thrown out a couple of guys now. You threw out Mookie Betts a few games ago. I was wondering if you could walk us through through that play. Yeah, I mean, Duvall on the mound again, tight game. He got to the plate and a little bit faster than usual, so that was nice. And then, you know, was able to get a good throw off and, you know, it was a big player. But just for me, I try to get rid of it as quick as I can and just kind of whatever happens, happens, you know. You mentioned Staff Hamling before being a favorite thing for you, and it seems like a lot of guys are very comfortable with you. When I was checking before, I think it was nine guys had a strikeout to walk, a four to one or better with you. And Duval at one point, I think, was like 15 strikeouts and one walk before a little bit of a hiccup game. What do you do to, to get your guys comfortable with you when you're not on the field? Just a lot of preparation for the opposing lineups and then just communication with the guys about their stuff and kind of how they're feeling. But just so they know, like, hey, Bailey cares. He's doing his homework. He's doing his part. And then, you know, obviously the most important thing is behind the plate and while I'm playing, you know, I'm doing everything I can for them. So I think it's a, a combination of the two, but I would say both both contribute to kind of gaining the trust out. What was it like when Logan Webb turned over the, the pitch calling, which he had been doing to you? Yeah, it was cool. Very cool. It was, you know, I take a lot of pride in it and don't, take it lightly so it means a lot that he was comfortable enough to to allow me to call and I mean obviously he has <laughs> he still has his pitch times up there so it's you know we have a a good system going a really good system going with this path right now so it's pretty excited. What was your welcome to the big leagues moment? I mean honestly the probably catching Webby the the first time out there against Miami that was a just a cool moment to be out there and be able to catch him and uh, it was a really good outing and it's been a lot of fun we've been playing really good ball and winning and just create the create to get out of there now you weren't necessarily known for your hitting that much in the minors but the hits have come pretty well for you and come in bunches at the major league level what have you done to kind of prep in that in terms of offensive game for the some of the guys that you're facing i think a lot of it's just simplifying simplifying as much as I can. Obviously, the stuff's up here better, the command's better, so just trying to take what they give me and not try to do too much. And, you know, honestly, I think a lot of a lot of the hitting has come from just, just not having to feel pressure where, you know, minor league sometimes you feel like you got to hit your way to certain spots here. Like, I know, like, defense and catching is going to be a lot of the value I bring to a team. So kind of whatever I can do at the plate, will be a bonus and I'm kind of it's been a nice bonus so far but you know just try to keep at it if you were going to advise a young kid who was learning catching in terms of trying to get over some of the hardest things to learn as a catcher what's like the biggest tip and what was the thing that that got you through it it's a good question just say honestly stick with it like it's extremely hard but if you can learn as much as you can catching wise but also from a pitching standpoint you know, the analytics of pitching is huge as a catcher. Just being able to understand how pitches work and why a pitch is good or why a pitch isn't good. Like, again, I think that's going to help people and kids and high schoolers kind of learn their or earn the trust of the pitchers as well and kind of help be able to call a better game. You mentioned that twice now. What's like, what's an example of something that you learned? Just out to the kind of growing up you 
face guys that, you know, fastballs like, oh, this guy's not throwing hard, but I can't hit it. Like, it seems like invisible, right? Like, if you foul it off, well, now it's just, you know, that it's either really good vert or it's approach angle. And so now you kind of can quantify, okay, this pitcher does this well. So, or, all right, how do we maximize his strength and then make sense and stuff to get off, get the hitter off? Last question. Whose defense on the Giants do you appreciate the most from watching it behind the plate? I mean, I feel like, yeah, I have to say Crawl. The way Crawford goes about his business and he just seems like he sees the game, like just slows it down so much and things just come easy to him. And it seems like he just makes, <laughs> he does, he makes all the right plays and knows where to go with the baseball. It's just it's fun to watch him kind of command the, command the field. Like, a lot better since he came off the injured list. Patrick Bailey, thank you for taking the time to join us. Best of luck the rest of the season. We'll be following you closely. Thank you. Have a good one. SIS Vice President of Baseball Bobby Scales joins us for his regular segment. Former major leaguer, formerly worked for the Angels and Pirates. Hi, Bobby. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? I'm good. I enjoyed talking to Patrick Bailey. I know that you got a chance to listen to it. And before we get into some of the things that he said, I'm just curious if you could explain for the audience what the responsibilities for a rookie catcher who's called up in midseason to catch every day, what are those responsibilities? Well, first of all, that's a that's a really daunting task to ask a young player to come up. Uh, ask a young player to come up, period, and play an everyday you know role on a team that's good. It's one thing on a team that's not so good or you know, a second division club or a middling club that's kind of on the fringes of the wild card, but a team that's really, you know, performing well, to ask that guy to come up and and, and play anywhere on the diamond is is a lot. But to do so at the position, which, I mean, it's the most analogous to a quarterback, a point guard in the NBA. It's the catcher. You're, you're driving the car. Yes, the pitcher has the ball, but you're really driving the car when you're back. There's a lot of decision. There's a lot of preparation. And the second piece of that is, yeah, you have to do something offensively too. So there's a ton of pressure on that position. So just, just the, the task of doing that alone. And so when you break that down, it's getting, making sure you're comfortable with all the information you're getting, making sure you are developing relationships with each and every pitcher in that, in that clubhouse. And that's difficult to do. The starters, the relievers, the back end club, the back end, uh, the leverage guys in the bullpen. It's, it is, it is a daunting task to have all of that. They have to have all that information about the person, about their stuff, and about the opponent, and it's it's really difficult to to have to be able to take all that in and be able to process it and recall it when you need to to be effective during the game. It's been cool to watch because in just about every series that he's played, he's done at least one thing that has impressed. I talked to him about that at bat with Manny Machado. There was actually another one the night that I talked to him where Machado had a, a pretty long at bat where he wound up reaching on an error, but then the reliever recovered. He he seems to know what to call in what spot very well. And it got me to wondering, like, when we look at statistics for pitchers and stuff, as people who aren't necessarily quantitative analysis, like really deep divers, how much credit should we give a catcher for things like a strikeout? I think quite a bit. I mean, obviously... I say quite a bit. And that's, again, that's kind of a nebulous term, but, but there's definitely a level of credit that, that goes to that catcher. Pitchers should not throw pitches they're not confident in. And as a catcher, when you, I was going to say, when you put the fingers out or when you push the button on pitch top, you have to have a level of confidence in that too. And you have to, you have to be able to exude that with 
your body language, your preparation pregame, your, your pitcher has to have enough confidence in you to know that this is what we need to be doing right here. And if you're going away from a plan because the catcher notices something or he feels like there's an area of the strike zone or area that that particular batter is weak in and, weak, and they can exploit at that period of time that may not be on the scouting report, those guys out there have to trust that. And then when you have that level of trust, the ability for that pitcher to execute the pitch that's being asked of him, it goes up. So I think there's quite a bit of, of, of credit that needs to go to a catcher when you when you make execute a pitch, even if it's not a strikeout, even if it's a pitch that just gets off a barrel and you induce weak contact. Uh, quite a bit of, of credit needs to go to that catcher. Who is a catcher that you remember, whether it's from your time playing or whether your time working for the teams that I mentioned, or even that you see now, that you think is particularly good at the coaxing what he needs to get out of his pitchers? Wow, that's a good question. There's a lot, and they do it in different ways. For me, one of the guys that I played with, and I didn't play with him long. He was in, uh, was in 2006. I was with Philadelphia in AAA, and eventually this guy ended up being a, a, a stalwart behind the plate for many years on good Philly teams. But Carlos Ruiz was amazing. The level of confidence that those guys on that staff, just in AAA, and then as you saw, as he got to the big leagues and went through his career in the World Series, those guys, he was so into the game all the time. Chooch, his preparation before the game, his knowledge of his guys, his knowledge, his understanding of what he needed to do to, to get his guys, like as people through the game, pair that with the preparation that he had and his ability, just his raw ability to catch and block and throw. It was amazing watching that guy. I think he's he's a guy for me that gets a little bit lost in maybe he wasn't a great catcher, but boy, he was really, really good for a long time. And, and the way he went about that, like I said, with the preparation, both physically, mentally, understanding his guys, who he needed to kick in the rear end, who he needed to throw the arm around. That for he was a guy for me that's he's one of the best I ever played with. Catcher on a World Series championship team about 15 years ago for the Phillies. So I'm looking at the giant catcher stats and you've got they've had like five catchers this season because of injuries. Patrick Bailey, quite frankly, wasn't supposed to be on the roster this year because they've got Joey Bart. They've got Roberto Perez. They both got hurt. They have Blake Sable filling in. And I look and they're all at about the same number of innings caught, the top three guys. And Patrick Bailey's stats just leap off the page. And there are catcher areas tricky because some guys handle the best pitchers, but they've all handled the pitchers, the same guys, a decent, you know, a decent amount of the time. And it got me to wonder, like, for defensive run save, we have a way to incorporate what we call staff handling. And, and it's not something that's easily explainable. It's kind of an adjusted catcher ERA. And I'm trying to figure out, like, is there a better way? Is there another way to figure out how you would measure something like that for a catcher? Do you have any perspective? I understand we're in an era now where we try to quantify everything. That's what we do. It's for info solution. So, but I will say this. That's it. That's something that you cannot quantify for the simple fact you don't know what happened behind the scene. You're not in the clubhouse with those guys. You're not, you know, as you come in from batting practice and it's time for the pregame meal, and maybe Patrick Bailey's not not catching that day, or it's a, maybe it's an off day. You're traveling and you're on a bus, you're on a plane, or what have you. And those are the moments where the staff handling happens, connecting with that person on something completely outside of of baseball or saying, hey, man, listen, I was thinking about this thing the other day. It's stuck in my mind. We went 2-2 curveball right here. I wanted, it, I wanted it to strike the ball. I felt like you weren't committed to it. Walk me through what you were thinking. Those are the, the that's staff handling. That's staff handling. It's ha- having an understanding of that picture. You know, especially now if you, with the limited visits to the mound, 
When do you go out and make a mountain visit? When do you go, you know, when do you go burn one? Say, hey, listen, all right, I'm just coming out here. You're doing fine. We're working a little too fast right now. You know, I'm just trying to take, break it up, whatever. It's, it's those fine moments that are totally human moments. Though that's to me is staff handling. You can't get anybody to follow a game plan. Can you get a guy to leave the game plan and have trust in you when it dictates? Can you get a guy to speed up? Can you get a guy to calm down? Do you have the right words when a you know guy makes a really good pitch and he gets hit in the, in the gap for a double, and he's you know he's really mad at himself? Do you have the ability to calm that guy down and say, "Hey, man, tip your cap. He hit a good pitch. No big deal." The that's staff handling. That has nothing to do with the actual mechanics of framing or the mechanics of blocking pitchers. For me, that's the definition of staff handling, and that's something we'll never be able to quantify simply because we don't understand those moments intimately. Patrick Bailey seems to have the confidence of his staff, and he seems to have the confidence of his manager, not just behind the plate, but at the plate. And this is something that was completely unexpected from him. This is a guy that was hitting 220 in a ball last year. And as I said, not even supposed to be on the roster this year. Strikes out a lot. He's got about an eight to one strikeout to walk as a hitter. But when he puts the ball in play, he hits it hard and he does damage with it. And he made the comment about how the pressure's off once you get to the major leagues. And I thought that that was interesting. And I'm just curious, as someone who played in the major leagues, who took a long time to get there, what your thought was on that? Well, I think what and I, you know, again, I'm I'm speculating a bit here because I'm not Patrick Bailey and I'm not in his mind. But oftentimes, when you when you're in the minor league, there's there's a you're putting pressure on yourself to get to the next dot in your development, wherever that dot is. Obviously, the ultimate dot is to get to the big league. You're putting a, a tremendous amount of pressure on yourself to shine, to perform at a high level, so that you can move up through the league. Well, he's in the big leagues now, and so a lot of that mental pressure is is freed up. He's where he wants to be. Now it turns into something different. Can I stay here? That's a whole different discussion. But getting there, I would imagine it just freed him up and said, "Okay, I'm here now. I'm going to I'm going to do I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to be my the best version of myself and let's see let's see if I can, you know, roll the dice and see what happens here." And I think that's probably what he's leaning towards in terms of the uptick in offensive performance and yeah, the 8 to 1 strikeout to walk is less than less than desirable hopefully for him. As the league makes adjustments, he does too, and he can find his way to be an effective major league hitter. But we know he's an effective major league catcher, and that alone is going to keep him there for an extended look, if not for uh, quite a long time. Yeah, I got the feeling from talking to him, and again, not to get necessarily inside his head, but the idea that once he was there, he he doesn't feel like he's necessarily ever going back. And he's 24 now, so he's a little bit more mature than someone that was you know, 21, 22. And he seemed to just... I I just enjoyed the way that he carried himself in the interview. Bobby Scales, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure, Mark. A few things before we wrap up. You can track all our defensive stats at fieldingbible.com. You can also find defensive runs saved on fan graphs and baseball reference. You can follow us on Twitter at SIS underscore baseball, where we post leaderboards, stats, and highlights. And you can read our articles, including our stat of the week, at sportsinfosolutions.com. For Bobby Scales and our producer Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for listening to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.